Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. So glad that you're here. We're excited to be in a, a series through the book of Psalms. I want to read from the Psalms in just a moment. And, uh, and we're going to take a little bit of time here. We're really going to treat the psalm today as a springboard and go on a little bit of a, a journey through the Bible, if you will. And I'm excited about that. But really want you to know how, how amazing you are. Grateful that you're here today. And lots of times in, in the summer, uh, there are like 154 things to choose from on any given day. And uh, it's amazing that you chose to be here today. It made a big difference that you're here and uh, we're grateful that we get to spare, uh, spend moments like this and invest in, in community together. So why don't we take a moment and pray, and then we're going to dive into the Word. Jesus, we invite you into this place. Holy Spirit, you are welcome to be in charge. You are welcome to, to speak to us. We open our ears to hear you. We soften our hearts to respond to you. I pray, God, that uh, in the busyness of all that we have going on, that our minds would be stilled and distractions would fade and we'd find ourselves amazingly locked in to what you want to communicate through your word today. Pray that you do the miraculous in our hearts. We believe for this in your name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Why don't you grab your seat this morning? Well, it has been, uh, it's been a great journey. We are, like I said, Venturing through the book of Psalms together, we're on a bit of a, a journey together, and in the, the course of, of such, we're 58 days into our walk through the book of Psalms, which is going to take us 92 days in total, and we're 58 days through. For some of you, you've been following along daily with a reading plan, you've been checking out little YouTube devotionals that we're, we're posting every day. For others of you, you're like, I didn't even know you were doing this. Guess what? There's still like, what does that make? 34 more days left. You can jump on and uh, be in it and be with it. How good was the five minutes of fire with Barbara over here? Oh, come on. Fired up. Fired up. But you know what's amazing is that, that for each of us, as we approach the Word, we, we find ourselves getting something unique to our situation out of it. That's an amazing thing. That's a miracle that takes place in the Bible when you open it up and it speaks to you. Isn't that amazing? Miraculous. Okay, here we go. Ver, uh, Psalm chapter 95. We're going to start here today. Psalm 95. And uh, we're going to dive straight in. Just got back from uh, New Westminster feeling a little bit warm after my jog up from the sky train today. And uh, man, it's a good day. Psalm chapter 95 says this, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all kings. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah as you did the, that day in Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation, and I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. 
this, uh, this poem draws attention to the, the fact that God is creator. When uh, in New West this morning, Summer gave five minutes of fire and she talked about this, that God who holds the seas also created you. You're part of his creation, which is a pretty amazing thought that within the vastness of God's creation, he saw fit that you needed to be here, that I needed to be here. How beautiful is that? But I want to draw your attention to the one phrase right at the very beginning. It says this, that that God is the rock of our salvation. Can someone say the rock? Someone wanted to say that with some attitude, right? Can you say, can you smell what the rock is cooking? There we go. JR, you're with me. The rock. He's the rock of our salvation. I love this imagery, the rock of our salvation. The Bible uses this image quite frequently about God being the rock. Like when Jesus is teaching and he says this, if you listen to what I say and put it into practice, you're like a person who digs down deep and builds their house upon a rock. Unlike those who just listen and do whatever they want, they're like those who build on sand. And when the storms of life come, their house is completely destroyed. But if you build your life on the rock, then you stand firm. See, in this poem, the image of of God as our rock is really significant. God is solid. God is consistent. God is faithful. God is true throughout all the ages of time, throughout all our faults and our failures and our weaknesses and our our on days and our off days. God is like, like a rock, just completely solid. And then as it continues on, it says this, if you could hear the voice of God today, don't harden your heart. If you could just listen to the voice of God today, keep your heart soft. Do you know what I've found typically is when people don't trust God as the rock in their life, that they still need something solid. They still need something secure. They still need something firm. And they look for that steadiness in all sorts of wrong places. Sometimes they look for it in a relationship and they put all the weight on a person to be their ever-present help in times of trouble, but it's something only God can do. Sometimes they put their, their hope, their confidence in, in something like wealth. And when, when Paul is talking to Timothy, he said, you got to teach people that, that putting their, their confidence in wealth is not wise because it's fickle and, and money comes and money goes and inflation happens and investments go wrong and, and don't put your confidence in that. Sometimes people put all their confidence and hope in society, and they're devastated when, when a person of, of fame or a person in political power does something different than they would do or, or values something different than they would. They're like, oh, no, another one bites the dust. Can't believe it. You know, Hollywood letting us down again. But, but I found most frequently what people end up putting their hope in, their confidence in, is themselves. And it looks like this. It looks like the hardening of their own heart. Because without the the solidifying work of God as the rock of our salvation, we need something solid. And so instead we say, well, I need to just harden my own heart. Be careful not to feel too much. Be careful not to respond too much. Trust only in myself. When it all comes down to it, I'm going to look out for number one. I'm going to trust in number one. I am all I've got. And here the Bible says this. Hey, don't harden your heart like that. If you could just hear God, let the hearing of God's voice soften your heart. Keep a soft heart before God. And then uses this comparison. It says, don't be like you were back in Meribah and Massa. 
Now, I don't know about you. Sometimes in the Bible when I read things like that and I don't know where Meribah or Massa is, I'm like, cool. They're just like, they're, they're gimme words. They're just freebies. I just brush past them and keep on going and I'm almost at the end of the chapter. It's like the genealogy. Have you ever been there? You're reading like, and then so-and-so begat so-and-so. I don't even know what begatting is. And so you just kind of cruise your way down and look for a name that looks familiar. I can, I can skip over things like this sometimes and miss their weightiness. So it says, hey, don't be like the people at Meribah and Massa. They hardened their heart. They tested God, even though they had seen what he had done. So, hey, let's use this as a, a jumping off point today, and let's dive back and find Meribah. Let's find Massa, okay? It's in the book of Exodus chapter 17. Why don't you come back there with me? Exodus chapter 17. If you're taking notes today, you can uh, just jot down on the top of my page, I wasn't expecting that. Or that's not what I was expecting. That's not what I was expecting. Exodus chapter 17. In Exodus chapter 17, the the people of God have been led out of slavery. They had lived for not just one generation, but multiple generations, upwards to 400 years, enslaved under a tyrannical pharaoh in the nation of Egypt. This pharaoh was, uh, was evil and unjust, and insecure in his own insecurity. He came up with a rule. He said, I don't want my slaves to get too powerful. And so if there's any male babies born amongst them, the rule is this. You need to take that baby and throw them in the Nile River so they'll drown or be destroyed and eaten by by, uh, crocodiles. I don't want to have to put up with any growing strength amongst my labor force. Their job for up to 400 years was building bricks to make monuments so the Pharaoh would feel better about himself. It was a terrible place to be. And God heard their their cries, and he heard their their complaint. He heard their, their cry for help, and he sent Moses. Anyone ever heard of Moses? Moses walks up into the the nation of Egypt and he says, hey, Pharaoh, God spoke to me. He said, you need to let his people go. And Pharaoh laughs and says, that's not going to happen. They're my labor force. They're my slaves. And so Moses said, if you won't do that, then then God's going to have a showdown with you and we'll see who's more powerful. Pharaoh said, essentially, bring it on. And then over the course of, of days or perhaps up to months, there was a series of plagues that hit the nation of Egypt. One by one, systematically proving that, that God was more powerful and really, let's just say, a lot more creative as well than the Pharaoh ever could be. And so there was a series of plagues. Like in one, Moses touched the Nile River, and the Nile River, which they, they, they trusted for all source of life, all their fresh water turned into blood. And then there's this other one where, where he said, hey, by my command, all of a sudden there's going to be frogs everywhere. Anyone like frogs? You know, like frogs, Kermit the frog here, not that type of frog. We're talking like infestation of frogs in their beds, in their loaves of bread, everywhere they looked, frogs. And amazingly, as these things were taking place, the people of God were spared. And so in the household of the Egyptians, there was an infestation of frogs. In the household of the Israelites who, who God loved and chose and just showed his favor on because he wanted to, no frogs. And then there was fleas, and then there was boils. And then, then there, there was like uh, livestock dying and there was locusts and there was darkness. Even this, for three days it was dark in Egypt except for in the one town where, where all the people of Israel lived and it was light there. Like God just saying, hey, I just want you to know what it looks like when my favor is upon you. And on the last day when they left Egypt, the, Moses says this, hey, God just kind of sent another message, guys. On your way out, you should ask your neighbors and like ask the people who have been 
terrible to us for 400 years if they'll give us stuff. And so on their way out, they're like, hey, do you have anything you'd like to give me? And the people of Egypt gave them their, their like jewels and gold and treasure. And they, they walked out having pillaged their enemy without having to, to ever fight them. They walked out in peace and they made their way into the wilderness. History would say upwards to about 2 million people, all their generations, all their livestock. And they made their way into the wilderness. Well, after just a couple of days, they're in the wilderness. They come up to a place called the Red Sea. They get to the Red Sea. They say, we don't know how to swim. We don't know how to get across here. We're stuck. And they began to grumble and complain and question the leadership of Moses, question the direction of God. And they said, God, like, what are you going to do? You brought us out here and the Egyptians, they're chasing after us because they realized we took all their gold and stuff. And they're, they're on their way here. What are we going to do? And so Moses stood up with his staff and God said, take the one thing in your hand. It's just a, like a, a piece of stick and just go touch that, the water of the Red Sea. And when he did, the water parted. I saw a meme this week. It says if Moses lived today, he touches the water and it parts and it's just full of plastic everywhere. I know it's not funny, but it was kind of funny. And he, he touches the water and they all make their way across on dry land and or plastic to the other side. And then the, the Egyptians make their way into the water and, 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 and God closes the water over them and they're all destroyed. And the people are standing there in the wilderness, free. No more enemy chasing after them. They took all their stuff. They all made it through. And there's this massive party that takes place. And you can read it in Exodus. There's like a song that breaks out. And everyone's excited. And then within a couple of days, they say, Moses, we are so thirsty. Nobody told us the desert would be this dry. We're thirsty. And Moses said, well, well why are you looking at me? There's two million of you. Like, I, I don't have a canteen for you. I don't have, like, why? why are you looking at me? And, and he prayed, God, you got it. You're going to have to lead us somewhere. So they came to this pool of water and this pool of water was bitter in taste. And the people said, this water is terrible. Like we can't eat this. We're going to get sick. It was stagnated, putrid water. And so God said to Moses, take a couple branches from that tree, just drop them in the water and it'll turn sweet. So he did. And it did. And all the people are like, whoa, God's crazy. I was not expecting that. I did not see that coming. Like, I definitely wasn't expecting the frogs. I wasn't expecting the boils. I wasn't expecting hailstones from heaven. I wasn't expecting my, my, my uh, tyrannical overlords to give me their finances. I wasn't expecting to cross the Red Sea, and then I wasn't expecting for it to fall back over our enemies. I wasn't expecting to be in freedom. I wasn't expecting this incredibly sweet water, but I'm so hungry. Why isn't there any food? And interestingly, like a few days before, Moses had told them, hey, on your way, like make some bread. Don't put any yeast in it because then it'll go bad. Bring the dough with you because we're going to get hungry. But, but they had worked their way through that bread and they're like, we're so hungry. What are you going to do about it, Moses? And Moses is like, like, I got you out of there. Like what more, what more do you want from me? I don't know. I, I don't know how to give you bread. And he's like, God, what's your plan? And so God has this plan. He sends manna. Manna, which means literally, what is this? They walked out of their tent in the morning and the ground was covered with like honey type cereal. Like imagine honey nut Cheerios falling from, from the sky. And they're like, what is this? And then they did what any rational person would do and put it in their mouth, right? Like, I don't know what this is. And they ate it they're like, whoa, this is like honey, honey bread from heaven. It's amazing, but we miss meat. And so God, like, like Moses, what are you going to do about it? We did not choose this high-gluten, 
you know, non-carnivorous diet. What are you going to do? And Moses like, you have your livestock with you. Like if you miss meat that bad, have a barbecue. I don't know. And so he prays, God, what do you want us to do? And God says, well, I I can give meat. That's no problem. And so this flock of quails comes over their tent and all fall out of the sky. And there were so many quails. It says they ate quail for a month straight. They had quail for every meal. Imagine that. Like God is just consistently caring for them. Then they had this really unique complaint. They're like, but when it comes down to it, we really miss the onions. It says it in the Bible. Like, remember those onions we used to have? So oniony. You know, and cucumbers and melons and leeks. Oh, we just miss the onions. Isn't that crazy how, how we can look back at what we came out of and kind of glorify the good old days? Okay, hold up. They were in slavery. And they're missing the onions. There's some people like like can look back at a season in their life that was full of hurt and pain. They're like, but at least I had some friends. Or at least I had more friends back then. You were enslaved, addicted, stuck, lost, hopeless. Well, but at least uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. And then we get into Exodus chapter 17. In Exodus chapter 17, again, it says this. Check it out. Exodus 17 verse 1. It says the whole Israelite community set out from the desert and they traveled from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and they said, give us water to drink. Now, I think we should take note of this, that, uh, that Rephidim is called the place of rest. Just take note of that. We'll get back to it in a second. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test again? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses, and they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Like they're forgetting that they were dying in slavery, and now they're complaining about being thirsty. Then uh, Moses cried out to the Lord. He said, what am I supposed to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. So the Lord answered, answered Moses, go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of the Israelites. Take in your hand that staff which you have and strike the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out for all the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders and he called that place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord. And they said, is the Lord really among us or not? I give you the whole story to contextualize this. They had seen God do the miraculous. They had sensed the nearness of God. They were daily being reminded that God was with them as manna fell from the sky. They they were only like days separated, maybe perhaps a a few months separated from walking across dry land through a, a sea that was uncrossable. They were only months removed from living in constant fear for their lives as they were enslaved and had hopelessly been so for 400 years. And within the course of of some months, their thirst had led them to quarrel and to test God. Their thirst had led them to be overwhelmed and to say, like, like, where's God now? I can look at the people and say, you guys are crazy. You're truly crazy. But I've been them. We've been them. We, like if we were to sit and look back at all the, the goodness of God and, and yet we've found ourselves in thirsty times, 
compromising and in thirsty times finding ourselves quarreling and doubting and questioning and what the Bible refers to as allowing our hearts to get hard instead of remaining a, having a soft heart. Now, what was Rephidim called again? Rephidim is a place of, I think you should make note of this, that, that rest comes before replenishment. Rest comes before replenishment, not the other way around. You see, sometimes if, if we were to demand it of God, we're like, God, if you just replenish me, then I'll rest. If you would just do the things that I need you to do, then I'll respond in my character and I'll be at rest. If you would, you know, take care of all my needs, then I won't have to be worried anymore. Cause, but if, you're not, if you don't, I'm going to have to stay up all night worrying about this thing because someone's got to worry, right? If God's not worrying about it, I better get worried. I better get anxious. I just feel really anxious that no one's anxious right now about what's going on in my life. But, but actually, rest comes before replenishment. God led them out of the desert into a place called rest. And then he's like, guys, can you just chill for a minute? I'm going to do something amazing. Could you just, just be for a minute? And in that place of rest, instead of finding rest, instead, they quarrel. Isn't it amazing how contagious grumbling is? How contagious complaining is? Like, you weren't bothered until the person around you got bothered. Now you're really bothered that they're bothered, and they're bothering you. And it's just like, have you ever been in that? You're like, I wasn't even upset, but I am now. Have you ever maybe been the instigator of that, where all of a sudden there's this mob of people who's all frustrated, and you don't, you don't know why, except for you were just having an off day? So they're grumbling. It's amazing that the issue they had was thirst. Because, like, hunger you can sort of fight through sometimes, right? Like, tell that to a teenage boy, I know. But we can fight through it tiredness we can all kind of rally if we need to like there, there's something we can do you know give yourself the old slap or smash a red bull or you do something you can you can push through it but thirst it's like every breath you take every word you try to speak it's it's ever present for some of us here we feel like we've got this real in, like impressed need in our lives right here and right now we're having a hard time resting because we don't feel replenished but rest comes before replenishment rest is a discipline thing Rest is a, a choice thing. I could, and you can too, push through all the time, never stopping, never resting, never trusting. It's called having a hard heart. I could trust in my own self, trust in my own strength, and, 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 and essentially say, God, well, you weren't there. You don't know how bad it is down here. I'm so thirsty. You're not doing anything, so I'm going to do it for myself. But in this psalm, it says, hey, don't do that. If you could just hear God, just rest for a minute. Did you notice what the punishment was? Is it because they quarreled, because they tested, because they were, they were insincere about the, the goodness of God? They couldn't just receive God for who he was? The, the, the Bible says this, God chose they're never going to enter my rest. They're never going to be able to enter into true rest because they can't learn to have rest in this moment right now. Do you know for some of us, I think we never actually reach that goal we had in mind because we can't learn to celebrate the wins along the way? We never really reach into that end goal, the rest we're aiming for, because we don't notice the blessings as they come. And because we don't notice the blessing as they come, God's like, well, I can't just take you to the, the end goal. You didn't see me all along the way. You didn't see me in the bread that fell from heaven. You didn't see me when I parted a Red Sea for you. You didn't see me when I rescued you out of that. All you're talking about is the onions. If we're talking about the onions right now, I can't bring you into rest because you're not going to understand the price that was paid for. You're not going to understand how good and precious it is that, that God is with you and God is among you. And what we tend to do when things aren't going well 
is we find somebody to blame. For the people, it was Moses, right? You did this to us. I, I feel bad for Moses sometimes. Just a little side note, leadership is not as glamorous as you might think. Poor Moses, he's like, what did I do? Like, all I got a stick. I literally walked into the the the... the powerhouse of the known world with a stick and walked out having delivered two million people and now you want onions like he's frustrated i love when he prays to god he's like god what are we gonna do with these people like he's like it's me and you god moses wasn't perfect but in this moment in time he's like why am i getting blamed isn't it crazy how quick we are to blame others when things don't go the way we want it to do and maybe for you you're like no i don't blame moses i blame me And so you sit staring yourself in the mirror saying, what have you done? And we need to learn to find rest if we want to receive the replenishment that comes from God. Now, where did the water come from? It came from the rock. Notice in Psalm chapter 95, it says God is the rock of our salvation. Like he is the the supply of our salvation. It was totally illogical, unexpected, and miraculous that water should come out of a rock. This is not like a new scientific discovery that, you know, two taps of a stick on a rock creates water. This was God moving miraculously. This was God working in a way where there was no way, there was no water in the desert, and God's like, I'll hook you up if you just receive. It's crazy what happened. But you'll notice that even though they were blessed, their hearts still weren't in the right place. The place wasn't called, then we realized how crazy we were being and thanked God. It was called quarreling and testing. That's what the words Meribah and Massa mean. Moses said, from now on, we're going to refer to this place as the place where we all got bitter and we all fought and we tested God yet again. Sometimes in our life, we can have these moments where we're like, well, it worked out. I must have done something right. I remember going to a wedding once and, and, and I was at this wedding and I'd spent a, a fair bit of time with the couple who was getting married, and they had had a pretty difficult upbringing, like strained, neglected, painful. There was layers of, of issues that they had to work out with their parents. And then, then the father of the bride got up into the mic, and he said, well, I always wondered if I was a good dad, but now that I see you here, I know I did, I did a good job. Oh, man, just because things happen doesn't, doesn't mean you can take credit. You know, sometimes they can, like the people could have misunderstood and be like, good thing we quarreled against Moses. We had to put him in a place where he realized we needed water and he did what we needed him to do. Like they could have completely misunderstood. Do you think you've ever misunderstood where God's just been gracious? And you've misunderstood and you thought it was because you did something? Here's what it would look like. I work really hard. I strive. I practice I study my Bible, I show up early, I stay late, I got good attitude, I serve, I do all these things, so God has to bless me. It's not how it works, it's all grace. Here's how it looks. When things don't go that way, we're like, oh, it's probably because I, I stopped, I stopped praying as sincerely as I used to pray. I don't read my Bible as much as I used to read my Bible. That's why God's not blessing me anymore. The blessing of God is not linked to your behavior. The blessing of God is not linked to how sincere or hardworking you are. It's God's grace. God, God's the rock of our salvation. He can bring water into dry places. But let's not have hard hearts thinking we're the ones who make it happen. So we started in Psalms. We, we jumped back to 
Exodus. Now, could you jump forward? All that setup is so we can make our way into John chapter 7. If I had time, we'd go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We would go to Hebrews uh, chapter 3 and 4 because they all reference this. But let's go to John chapter 7. I don't know if we'll make it to those other ones today. John chapter 7. Check this out. John chapter 7. All this journey to find our way here. Because of what God did in that place at the rock, because of what God did, there was a ritual that began, a ritual that was created on a yearly basis at a specific festival. And at this festival called the Feast of Tabernacles, the people had a ritual that they would use to remind themselves that God can bring water out of rocks. And the ritual looked like this. The priest would go to a pool called Siloam. He'd put a cup in the pool, carry a a cup of water, and then there was like a parade. They would follow the priest as he carried a cup of water from Siloam, and with anticipation and with with ritual and with with fanfare, they would make their way to the the temple, and then in, in front of the temple, the priest would take the cup of water, and he would just pour it out on the ground. And when it hit the ground, they'd all be like, yeah! Have you ever been to a party? You're like, I don't know what's happening here. Like maybe a party in a different culture. You're like, I don't know what they're saying, but this just got real. Like the dance started. I'm not quite sure. That would be me in this festival. There's some dude carrying a cup of water, and then they're all following him, and then he, he spills his water, and everyone cheers. See, what, what they were commemorating in this particular festival that happened on a yearly basis is God is able. What they were commemorating is like God he, he, he has always been there for us. Do you have moments in your life where you stop to remember? Of course you do. You're in church on a Sunday in the summer. This is one of those moments where you gather together and then we're like, hey, let's stand up. Let's lift our hands. Let's worship God. And as we worship, you start to reflect on the kindness of God in your life. And it's a moment like this where it's like water's poured out. And you're like, whoa, God has been good. Of course you have moments like this. Of course there's rituals. For some, you're incredibly disciplined and regimented in the way you do this. You wake up early in the morning. You, you, you boil some water. You make a cup of coffee. You sit with your Bible. You open a journal. You reflect. It's amazing. You, you, you've created system and structure around it. For some, the system and structure is highly produced. You're like, whenever there is a specific concert of a of a a, like a band that I really like a Christian band comes through town I show up I get front row seats I I I bring a glow stick I shake it around I get real excited they better have confetti cannons there because I really connect with God when there's confetti cannons and and like this ritual helps me there's different things we do to help and commemorate what took place. There's nothing wrong with this ritual, but as the ritual is taking place in the book of, of John chapter 7 in verse 37, it says this, Jesus then on the last and greatest day of the festival stood and said in a loud voice. Do you know in the Bible there's only three times Jesus spoke in a loud voice? Only three recorded times. Like, like he had a lot to say, but he didn't really choose to shout it out very often. Three times. One time when there was a man named Lazarus who was dead and Jesus in a loud voice shouted out to Lazarus. I mean, if you've got to raise a dead guy, you might need to shout to get the message across. And he, he said, Lazarus, I command you come forth. And Lazarus got up out of his grave. There's this other time when Jesus is on the cross and in that moment he became a curse for humanity. He stood in the place of broken humanity, became a curse so we could become his righteousness. And God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, having always been perfectly in unity in that moment of time, it says God turned his back on Jesus and Jesus was alone. It's what sin feels like. And Jesus, for the first time, was separated from the Father and first and only time, praise God. 
And it says, he shouted out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he, he, he shouted to a dead guy, and he shouted when he was the dead guy, and then this time. The only three times in the Bible. And in this time, as this festival is taking place, and everyone's like, oh, man, I was here last year. And when the priest dumped the water, it splashed up on his shoes. It was crazy. I hope I have a good view. I don't know what's going to happen. And they're all getting excited. Like historian Josephus says, you've never seen a celebration unless you've been there in the moment when the priest pours out the water. In other words, like they, like that's when they turned up. Like that was the party started when the water hit the ground. And into this, Jesus shouts out in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. He said, if anybody is thirsty, let them come to me and water will flow from their life. You know what's illogical? Water flowing out of a rock. So you know what's equally as impossible and illogical? The spirit flowing from my life or yours. Not earned, not deserved, given by God's grace. It's totally illogical that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control could flow out of my life. Because I'm selfish and I'm broken. And in my brokenness, I, I act out. When I'm not careful, I, I mumble. When I'm not careful, I, I test God. I struggle with a hard heart, and, and so do you. It's our nature. It's funny. Like I think we can look at, at this time, this generation, and be like, man, our attention span is just getting shortened. All the stimulation, too much technology, it's destroying our ability to focus. But then you look thousands of years ago, and the people had just been set out of slavery, and they were complaining about their lack of onions. It's human condition. That recency bias, what have you done for me lately? And Jesus speaks into the ritual. He's like, stop the ritual. If you want life, just come to me and I'll give it to you. If you want life, you don't have to keep going through this ritualistic thing hoping to, to, to have a moment, hoping to revive a moment. If you want life, I'm here. Come and get it. You know, for years, for 25 years actually, the slogan of, of Sprite has been, obey your thirst. Anyone ever have a, a Sprite? I like, I like Sprite's ads over all these years, obey your thirst. They're not like selling you like, hey, if you drink this, everything in your life will go better. You'll look better. People will like you more. They're actually just like, hey, if you're thirsty, it's pretty awesome, right? Obey your thirst. That's essentially been their, their whole slogan. Not trying to sell you on all the side benefits. It's just like, if you're thirsty for it, if you know, you know. Obey your thirst. For 25 years, since 1994, that's been the slogan of Sprite, obey your thirst. It's lemon lime. I think before that, their slogan was something like, without the lemon, it's no good. Take that seven up. Honestly, it was something crazy like that in the 80s. But now, for 25 years, it's been obey your thirst. Until last month. Last month, actually, Sprite changed their slogan from obey your thirst to thirst for yours. I think that's kind of cool. You see, a lot of us, we go through life simply obeying our thirst being dominated by the things we're thirsty for, being dominated and allowing it to harden our hearts, allowing us to test God. We're like, I want 
stuff. Where are you now, God? Like, like, yeah, God, yeah, I know you set me free from sin, but then I got three shifts cut on this pay period, and I don't know how it ends are going to mean. Where are you now, God? And we, we're just dominated by obeying our thirst, whatever the thing we're thirsty for right now. Like, we look around, and we're like, no way, someone else got more vacation than I did on Instagram. Ah, where are you now, God? Right? Like someone, oh, man, look at their shoes. Oh, man, my shoes are so old. Oh. And we, we just obey our thirst. But I think instead we need to switch and, like, thirst for yours. Like, like God has made himself yours. He's made himself available. He's the rock of my salvation. And if I could simply hear him today, I don't want to harden my heart. I don't want to be hard-hearted. I don't want to test God. I don't want to complain about my situation. I want to find rest. I understand rest comes before replenishment. I want to speak to some people here today. You've been in church for a while. I'm going to ask the band to come back. You've been in the church long enough to know that when I say I'm going to ask the band to come back, in about 30 to 40 seconds, there'll be this really spiritual-sounding pad that comes on the keyboard. You've been in church long enough to know, like, okay, land in the plane. I've been here. I know, I know what's up. I want to speak to some people who've been in church for a while because it's easy for us to turn something special into something ritualistic. It's easy for us to go through the motions. It's easy for us to, to forget that the rock was, uh, was the source of the water, not the striking of it. See, catch this, not very much longer, the people of Israel complained again. Are you for real again? They did the same thing again. And Moses this time, he said, he said, God, I'm done with these people. I'm so frustrated. I can't handle these. He's basically saying, I can't handle these church people. Here they are again, same old, same old, going through the motions again. I'm done with this. And God says, Moses, hey, could you just go like find a rock and talk to it? Go speak to the rock. And Moses is like, oh, yeah, I'm grabbing my stick. And God's like, Don't, what? What are you grabbing your stick for? Oh, I know what I'm going to do when I see that rock. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crush it. Done this before. Been there, done that. Hit the rock, water comes out. I know how this works. And God's like, no, Moses, just speak to the rock. Just talk to it. And Moses gets his stick, and he goes out, and he's like, people, God and I are pretty frustrated right now. Can't believe you're doing this all over again. You're the worst. Just want you to know that. I don't know if you've ever been in a church setting like that. It's not super comfortable. <laughs> Pastor Moses gets up and barks at everyone. You're all the worst. Takes a stick. Smashes the rock. God said, speak to the rock. Moses hits it. Now God, because he's so gracious, causes water to flow out of the rock. And all the people are like, Moses, you've done it again. You and your stick, you did it again. And I think Moses walked away from it like, yeah, been there, done that twice. Got my stick, got my rock, hooked up the people. And God says, hey, Moses, you missed me. I told you to do something different. I asked you to speak to the rock. You missed it. And yeah, I'm gracious, of course. I'm going to take care of my people. I was always going to take care of them. But you, you missed this moment. And he said, no, hey, Moses, you're not going to enter the promised land. You don't enter the rest that I had for you because you just did what the people have been doing. You just did. You just missed me in the moment. 
You know, Jesus, you could say, if he's the rock of our salvation, he was struck once. Struck once by the, the staff, which would be, I suppose, a symbol of the law. He was hit once, and when he was hit, grace flowed out. He was hit once, struck once, and only ever needs to be once because he was the once and for all sacrifice for all of our sins so that we could live in the fullness of his blessing. He was struck once. From that point forward, we just get to talk to him. You don't have to hit Jesus with a stick of of religion. You can just talk to him. Jesus says, "If, if you come to me, streams of living water will actually flow out of your life. Like it's that simple, just come to me. Do I need to bring my stick? No, 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 no. Just come to me. Well, what if the priest isn't there with the water? No, you can just come to me. Like the water will actually flow from within you. Because I put it there. And I graced you for this. I want to I challenge each one of us. Let's not get stuck going through the motions. Let's not get stuck hitting a rock. Let's not be those who, who harden our own hearts and say, I've got to trust myself because no one else will do Let's listen to God. And if we hear him today, don't harden our hearts. As God is inviting you and I, let's enter into his rest and find the replenishment that we needed all along. I want to warn you and challenge you. Don't be the type of person who's waiting. You know, God wants you to fix everything. Then I will be at ease. Be at ease now because he's with you. Yeah, once you, you, you help me pay for all my bills, then I know you're real. Come on. Set you free from your sins. How will... Paul puts it this way. He said, if God didn't spare his own son, how will he not also along with Jesus graciously give you all things? Just talk to him. Just speak to the rock. He's the rock of your salvation. He's your supply. He's always more than enough. But often we never receive replenishment because we're not willing to just be be at rest. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church Podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.